If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. And it's going to bear that weight. All right. 1 Peter chapter 3. This was one of the first verses that my first mentor in ministry encouraged me to memorize. Now, I was encouraged, of course, back in the old days before there were modern Bibles. And so I was encouraged to memorize it in the King James Version, which reads a little differently than the one I have in my hand today. The King James Version starts out with, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be prepared to give an answer of any man that asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. And I memorized that and I have read it in so many different versions that I now probably quoted a mashup of all of them. But that phrase, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, always puzzled me. It puzzled me because it starts out by saying sanctify and I I thought sanctify meant to make holy. And I thought, he's already holy. How am I going to make him holy? How do you make someone who's already sacred sanctified? That question ever crossed your mind? No, never did. Okay. Well, as I thought about it, I realized that your ESV, many of you have the ESV version, says this. But in your hearts, regard, regard Christ the Lord as holy. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Okay, and we know holy means set apart. Set apart. So how does that work? Well, here's how it works. We regard Christ as holy by reverencing him. And how do we reverence him? We reverence him by, one, acknowledging that he's God by confessing in our hearts and admitting and agreeing with that truth that he is divine, he's God. And then also, of course, if he's divine and he's God, then we also acknowledge his lordship for our lives. He's the boss. Somebody asked a 10-year-old, what does it mean that God is the Lord? And he said, it means he's the boss. He's the boss. And as the Lord, who is the boss, we acknowledge it. We commit ourselves to that truth by trusting him. By trusting him. Trusting him so much that we do what he says. Trusting him so much that we yield ourselves to his control and authority over our lives. That's how you sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Is you... Give yourself to the commitment to trust him and do as he directs you to do. Now, pastor has been this past several weeks talking with us about how discipleship makes us different, right? Okay, we've got a problem here. Right? I'm going to say that one more time and then it just gets longer and longer. Right? Yes, discipleship makes us different. And the difference is 
this God who is in us that we yield to, that we submit to, that we trust. We trust when we don't understand. We trust when we do understand. We trust when we don't like it. We trust when we do like it. We trust because he's God. That's the whole idea of sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts is we say, you're God. I used to have a good friend who said, I've learned two things that I'm very sure of. One is there's a God and the other is I'm not him. And that's part of what it is to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts is we acknowledge that we're not God, that he's God. And as such, his directions are to be taken, followed, trusted. Now, Peter's writing to the church, and I'm going to have to make a couple of adjustments here. Is there anybody who's really good at moving this music stand without dropping everything on the floor? One of you people on the team? Uh, Abby, they all looked at you. If you want a thing done right, ask a lady. Actually, I just wanted to tip. <laughs> you know, if you want to know what he means, you better ask more instructions because <laughs> men don't communicate well. Thank you, Abby. See, this is why I asked if somebody else would do it because I knew I could do this. I could embarrass myself. I didn't mean to embarrass you, Abby. I'm sorry. That's okay. Okay, it's great. Let's just leave it. Hey, and, you know, he saw what was happening. The sermon was getting longer and longer. He is, he is your friend. That's great. That's perfect. I didn't wear the headpiece mic because I wanted to be non-distracting. Yeah, that worked well, didn't it? Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 and read down through verse 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Just like the compass that the children looked at a little bit ago, the needle is drawn to the magnetic north on a compass. So the Holy Spirit in the believer is drawn to Christ. If you're in the wilderness, you want to trust your compass. You get into a tall stand of trees, 
and you can't see the sun or the stars or it's cloudy or any number of things happen and the horizon changes and where you thought you were going is not where you feel like you're going now, you have to trust your compass because it's always going to point toward magnetic north. Even if it doesn't feel right, you got to trust it. It's the exact same thing with the spirit God put in you, believer. You have to trust him. You have to trust him when it doesn't feel right, when it doesn't make sense, when it isn't working the way you thought it would, when the exact opposite of what you thought would happen is happening. You've got to trust your compass. And it's important to check your compass regularly when you're in the woods. It's also important to check your compass regularly when you're in the world. It really is. And so the title of this little simple message is Check Your Compass. Check your compass. Yeah, I'm going to move quick. It's too late, I know. There are two parts to this verse. This verse is set in a context of discussion about how to deal with stress and tribulation and suffering as a believer. Now, very few of you have ever been actually physically persecuted for being a believer. Very few of us have ever been put into prison because we believe in Jesus Christ. Very few of us will ever be asked to forfeit our lives if we continue to believe in Jesus Christ. In that day, it was beginning to happen. In that day, it was happening, and it would happen more and more in the days to come, in the day in which Peter wrote these words. And around the world, it's happening regularly. For instance, in Nigeria, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of believers are being slaughtered regularly there because of their faith. But even if we're not suffering that kind of persecution, we suffer other types of pain and sorrow and difficulty. And that's one kind of question that comes to our faith, isn't it? It's when we suffer. In fact, when you're suffering, when things aren't going well, what's the first thing that happens inside you? Questions, right? Why me? What did I ever do to deserve this? I must have made a mistake. Where did I go wrong? Anybody relate to that? Uh-huh. Okay. And so the first part of this verse deals with questions. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart or regard the Lord Christ as holy. That is, set him up as Lord and King and God in your heart. And be ready to answer questions. Well, what kind of questions? Well, the kind of questions that come from those who are outside the church. Questions about why do you have the attitude you have in life? When things are going badly, how come you're not distressed and undone and can't function? When your beloved passes away, how do you possibly face the next day when the most horrible thing that you can imagine happens happens to you how do you deal with that how, how are you able to keep on functioning the answer is of course 
we have Christ in our hearts. And we have the assurance of his presence and his purpose and his power and his peace and his comfort. And we have the promise of his victory. We have the promise of his victory. And we live in faith, not in sight. Well, how come you don't talk like other people talk? Or how come you haven't given up on your marriage? If that happened to me in my marriage, I'd give up on it. Well, because I'm trusting God. I'm trusting him to make it right. I'm trusting him to help me be right. I'm trusting him. Well, how come you don't have, carry grudges? How come you're walking around forgiving people that have been mean to you? These are the kind of questions our lives ought to be evoking from those around us. Are you following me? We've heard the pastor say over and over that the problem is we don't look any different than the people who don't know the Lord look in the way we live in the things we value, in the things we pursue, in the time we spend. But when we're being directed by that spirit that is bringing that holy Christ into our lives, we can't help but be different. It's not a matter of saying, I think I'm going to be weird. It's a matter of saying, I think I'm going to be yielded to the Lord. Trust me, he'll make you weird enough. And that's the truth. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Always be prepared to give an answer. Well, we get these questions from the outside, and we could go on all morning talking about that. But there are the questions that come from the people in the church. Oh, I don't know about you, but I think Jesus had more trouble with the religious crowd than he did with the lost crowd. What do you think? Who nailed him to a tree? It was the religious crowd. There's a huge difference between being in the church and being in the Lord. And those who walk in the Lord will find that there are plenty of people in the church who have all kinds of questions. Well, why do you go there? And is that really Christian music? I don't think that's good music at all. Or we're members of this denomination. Which denomination are you members of? Our denomination doesn't do it that way. The list goes on and on. There's a whole world of not Christianity, but churchianity. Churchianity. Maybe you've run into it a time or two. It can do more painful harm to you than the people outside could ever do. Because we're supposed to love each other, right? We're supposed to value each other, not critique each other, condemn each other, judge each other, and generally use one another. And so there are these questions that come if you're going to follow the Lord. They come from without and they come from within the church. They even come from your own heart and mind. Scripture makes it really clear. Jesus is the answer. But that brings us to your answers. He says, be ready to give an answer. These answers are to be given with courage and boldness and humility and kindness. It's never appropriate for Christians to be screaming at people who aren't Christians about how they ought to be Christians or about how bad they are. 
or how much better the Christians are than they are. That's never biblical. That's never God's way, ever. If you run into that, mark it down, it's not from the Lord. But we are to be able to give an answer. The answer for the hope that's in us. You see, that that word hope means a confident expectation. A confident expectation. Sometimes when we say hope, we, we say it like it's a wish. Well, is it going to rain next week? Oh, I hope not. How are the kids going to do in the state tournament? Well, I hope they'll do well. But that's not what we're talking about here. Biblical hope is not a good wish. It's not a happy thought. It's a settled, deep, confident expectation of an unseen reality. And the hope that is in you, Christian, is the hope that, first, that um, Colossians 1.27 describes. If you have your Bible, turn it over to Colossians 1.27. Turn left from where you are in 1 Peter and go back a few books, back left of Hebrews and 1 and 2 Timothy and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and look for Colossians, C-O-L-O-S-S-I-A-N-S. Colossians. Got it? Chapter 1, verse 27. Who has that and would volunteer to stand up and read it in a strong voice? Okay, here we go, Rachel. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the revelation of God's mystery that's been hidden from the ages and from generations. That God would come and live in people. And in so doing, give them the certain confident expectation of his glory for them. And because of that, we're different. We choose differently. We believe differently. We act differently. We talk differently. We think differently. Amen? Amen. The hope of glory, Christ in you. You know, we are situated in this wonderful position as New Testament believers where we can see the fulfillment of a lot that the Old Testament people couldn't see. Noah couldn't see the church like this. Isaiah never saw the Lord Jesus like we have. There's so much that we have to the advantage in that. But listen, we still aren't seeing the finished product, you know. How, how do we go on? We go on because we've seen the finished product. His name is Jesus. We know how the story ends. We know how the last chapter of the Bible concludes. It's to the glory of God forever and ever. And it all works out right. Every bit of it. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, there's one of the most arresting phrases in the entire Bible as far as I'm concerned. The writer is referring to the things that the Old Testament believers didn't see. 
He begins in verse 5 and talks about and quotes from Psalm 8. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting, something in, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Amen? We don't see everything in subjection to Jesus right now, right? But it's been put there. And here's how we can know. This next verse, but we see him. And the King James just says, we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. We look at him who died on the cross and said it is finished, who rose from the dead never to die again, who has raised us to life in him forever and ever, and we know the end of the story. We see Jesus. And that's our answer. That's our answer always. Jesus has the victory. He has completed it. He has finished it. He has concluded it. And it's not seen yet, but he is. And he's enough at this point. It will be seen. It will be seen. So I have three simple applications for you, little questions. When was the last time you checked your compass? Are you doing what you're doing because the Holy Spirit is leading you? Are you saying and thinking and acting in submission to and in cooperation with that spiritual compass that God's placed inside you? When's the last time you checked your compass? Number two, is anybody asking you questions about why you are the way you are? Does anybody anywhere say, hey, I've noticed that you don't hate people. People who hate you. Why? Or something like that. I've noticed that you care about people. Genuinely. How come? Those are the kind of questions our lives ought to be prompting. My own personal little paraphrase of that verse is, live your life so that it raises questions. Be prepared to answer them. And then the third is, when was the most recent time you can remember noticing that you were different because of Christ. Different than the people you work with. Different than the people you go to school with. Different than people who don't know him. There's an old story told about a young man who was going away from his classes for the summer, he'd finished both semesters and he was 
20 years old, and he was going to the North Woods to work in the woods for the summer. And he told his small group the week before he left, he said, please pray for me. I know I'm going to be working among people who don't know the Lord. I know I'm going to be working among rough men in a rough situation. And I pray for you to pray for me. Well, they did. And he came back to school, and he met with his small group, and they said, well, how did it go? He said, it went great. And they said, well, it did. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. He said, yeah, nobody figured out I was a Christian. Yeah. When was the last time you noticed the difference between you and the people who aren't? 